Father, we thank you for this Sabbath day, this opportunity to come together as your children to study the signs of the times and especially how we can be fully surrendered to thee. Uh, Lord, we pray that we can experience what it means to be made righteous by faith in Jesus. And so be with us now this afternoon. Please remove any distraction. Help us to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, I will be going until about 545. I'll try and stop early and give oh, at least 15 minutes for questions. If we do have a question, we'd like to encourage you to make your question as a sentence, very short, and because I'll have to repeat everything you say to make sure it's all got, uh, that we get it on the recordings. At the last minute when we were announcing the programs for this afternoon, I just felt strongly impressed in light of everything that seems to be happening in the world and in the country to change my topic. I was going to be talking about the way people think and minds and it turns out Dr. McNutty is talking about the very same thing. And so I thought, well, that's of the Lord. Um, I'd like to begin by reading something to you just to let you know where I'm going and you can see if this sounds relevant. This is from the book Great Controversy, page or chapter 35. This is page 563. Romanism is now regarded by Protestants with far greater favor than in former years. <laughs> if that was true back in 1888, how true is it today? In those countries where Catholicism is not in the ascendancy, the papists are taking a more conciliatory course in order to gain influence. There's an increasing indifference concerning the doctrines that separate the Reformed or Protestant churches from the papal hierarchy. The opinion is gaining ground that, after all, we don't differ so widely on vital points as it has been supposed, and that maybe a little concession on our part will bring us into better understanding with Rome. The time was when Protestants placed a high value upon the liberty of conscience that has been so dearly purchased. They taught their children to arbor popery and held that to seek harmony with Rome would be disloyalty to God. But how widely different are the sentiments now expressed? You know, it's interesting that um, the number 666 is only mentioned a couple of times in the Bible. Do you know where the first time is that it's mentioned? In 1 Kings chapter 10, Israel reached its zenith. See, when God called the nation of Israel, I'm going to give you sort of an overview of prophecy that takes you from the times of the Old Testament to today. God had a plan for Israel. You read all the promises of Moses. If you obey me, you'll be blessed when you go out. You'll be blessed when you come in. Your nation will be a light to other nations. And all nations will flow to Israel to learn about your God. The closest Israel ever came as a united kingdom to realizing the promises of God was during the time of Solomon, after the temple was completed, when the queen of Sheba comes to find out about the God of Israel. That's what God wanted. He wanted the other nations to come to Israel, to see the temple, to see the priests, to understand the plan of salvation, to learn about Jehovah, and God would bless them. And during the time of Solomon, they had great peace. They were blessed on every side. And it talks about all the prosperity. And you look at the history of during the time, from the time of David to Solomon, there's only three, time, three kings where there was a united kingdom. Saul, David, Solomon. It's interesting. Forty years for the time of Saul. Forty years for the time of David. 
40 years for the time of Solomon. You know, Moses' life is divided up into three 40s also. 40 years in Egypt, 40 years in the wilderness, 40 years bringing people from Egypt to the borders of the Promised Land. And so at the end of Solomon's time, when the Queen of Sheba came, it wasn't quite the end, they brought all these treasures were flowing into Israel. They were blessed. They had peace. They had prosperity. They were dedicated to God. And it says in 1 Kings 10, 14, Now the weight of gold that came to Solomon in one year was 666 talents of gold. That's interesting. And I'm not exactly sure to what to make of that, except to tell you after that verse, you go to the next chapter, and it says, And Solomon loved many women. And all of a sudden, what had been going up, up, up for a kingdom, it plateaus and it begins to go down. And they led his heart away after other gods. And then the son of Solomon, Rehoboam, made some bad decisions and the kingdom was split. And you probably remember the story where King Jeroboam, he said, we're going to have to kind of create a counterfeit religion. And... Um, he encouraged the people to worship other gods. And they turned to idolatry. And the kingdom of the north, which was the majority of the people, they gave over to idolatry and he set up a golden calf. You'd think they would have learned about golden calves from their history in Israel. But they made another golden calf, one at Dan and one at Bethel. Dan was way in the north, Bethel further south. And he reorganized the priesthood and they sort of commingled the worship of the true god with the false god. Well, for years, the southern kingdom said, no, we're going to stay loyal to the scriptures. We're going to stay loyal to the priesthood. We're going to do it the way God says we should do it. And there was war between the two kingdoms. But a good king by the name of Jehoshaphat, he said, you know, we've got a lot in common with Israel. He was a good king. We ought to try better to get along with them. And he made friends with Ahab. And God sent a prophet to Jehoshaphat and he said, will you be friends of those who are God's enemies? And Jehoshaphat, through his association with Ahab, almost got killed, went into battle with him. Jehoshaphat's son married Jezebel and Ahab's daughter. Her name was Athaliah, who ended up killing all of Jehoshaphat's grandchildren after he was gone, except for one. And gradually, the kingdom in the south began to follow the example of the kingdom in the north, and they gave themselves over to idolatry. And uh, you'll see that during the time of Ahab, when Jezebel, the queen, what does a woman represent in Bible analogies? For three and a half years, better known as 1,260 days, or you could say 42 months. Does that sound like Revelation? There was a famine. And this pagan queen, Jezebel, manipulated Ahab, the government, the king, to persecute the prophets of God, Elijah. And they fled into the wilderness, not just Elijah. Obadiah hid prophets in the wilderness, and they were fed there by God for 1,260 days. So with that in mind, you go to Revelation. talks about the woman fleeing into the wilderness. God's people are persecuted. There's a compromise that takes place in the church. It talks about blasphemy and idolatry. And you got 1,260 days and day is a year in prophecy. Do you see a pattern here where what's happening in the Old Testament where they've got two streams of God's people, southern kingdom, northern kingdom, Judah, Israel. One gave over to idolatry gradually 
instead of the southern kingdom inspiring a revival in the northern kingdom, the northern kingdom won over the southern kingdom and they were both carried away captive, one to Assyria, one to Babylon. History is repeating itself. Spirit of prophecy says history will repeat itself. You look in the New Testament times, look in the prophecies of Revelation 12 and Revelation 17, and it tells us that for 1,260 years, the church went into a great apostasy, and it would receive a deadly wound, but it would come back. You know, after the children of Israel were carried off to Assyria, it looked like it was all over, but it seemed like the kingdom was revived for a little while. And you look at the symbols that it gives in Revelation. It talks about this woman. So what does a woman represent? That woman in Revelation 17. She's not alone. She has daughters. Jezebel had a daughter that also persecuted God's prophets. Do you know that Jesus preached three and a half years? 1,260 days. John the Baptist, the prophet, preaching in the wilderness because he couldn't go to Jerusalem. So he went into the wilderness. And it tells us that Herodias and her daughter conspired to kill the prophet of God. And he came in the spirit and power of Elijah. You see there's a pattern that's taking place. We're living in a time where this is now happening again historically. 1,260 years this beast power would rule. It tells us this woman would sit on seven hills. Seven hills represent seven mountains. And I know about the seven kings, but even on a very basic level, Rome is known as the city of seven hills. And she's adorned with gold and pearls and precious stones. The Roman Catholic Church is the richest religious institution in the world. She has a golden cup in her hand. Central to the mass is a golden cup. The whole Reformation revolved around something called transubstantiation because the priest said he could actually turn that fermented grape juice into the blood of Jesus. And that if you wanted forgiveness, you had to go through the priest. What happened is there was a compromise between Christianity and paganism. You see, if the devil cannot destroy the church from the outside, he does it like termites by going on the inside. And history is repeating itself. Protestants used to be very loyal, very conservative, very pious, very biblical. The day was where every Protestant child knew the books of the Bible. If you say recite the books of the Bible, they could tell you that. Tell me the Beatitudes, they could tell you that. Tell me the Ten Commandments. Even my father, who grew up largely... He did grow up largely. That's going to help? I'm really, man, I, you know, I don't want to kiss it. I don't know. I just, I'm pretty close. I think even the microphone needs some personal space. <laughs> even my father, he gave me his uh, Bible from when he was a kid in Baptist Sunday school, and they had to memorize all these verses. And he grew up basically an agnostic, but uh, they used to know their Bibles. What happened to the church then is happening in our church today. And it's happening historically and prophetically as well. So when you read those quotes that I just gave you from the great controversy about liberty of conscience threatened, she foretold a hundred years ago that the day would come when American Protestants would not view Catholicism and understand what, how theologically 
distant it was from the Bible. I mean, I used to go to Catholic school. I was never a Catholic, but I went to two different Catholic schools in Florida. And um, one of the Ten Commandments says you don't pray to idols. But in the church, or if you've ever been to Rome or Italy or Spain um, or Mexico <laughs> or some of these countries, you know, they do very much pray to idols. The Bible says don't pray in vain repetition. They teach to pray in vain repetition. The Bible says we are saved by grace through faith. They teach that you earn salvation by penance and a variety of different works. You can go through a litany of beliefs, everything from the punishment of the wicked. What in the Bible talks about limbo or purgatory? The idea that you go right to heaven or hell at death before the judgment or the resurrection. And people are tormented forever. I mean, uh, there's just a whole series of things where there was a great departure from the Bible, not just to mention the seventh-day Sabbath as another one of the commandments that's been forsaken. But this is all done in the name of Christianity. Well, we're told in the last days that there would be this deadly wound that the Catholic Church received with the um, imprisonment of the Pope. They had had almost uninterrupted power that it would be healed. Let me just give you a few headlines of some things that have been happening in the last couple of years with the introduction of the first Jesuit pope in history. And this also happened in connection with something else that had not happened, I think, but maybe once before, where a, a comparatively healthy pope willingly resigned. It's almost like this was all very strategic and timed. Couldn't wait for him to die. The time had come and he resigned. Um, what is a Jesuit? The Jesuit order was established in 1540 with the specific purpose to overthrow the faith of Protestants. If you read from the book, Great Controversy, and I'm not going to read everything it says because I don't have time. 234. The first triumphs of the Reformation passed. Rome now summoned new forces hoping to accomplish its destruction. At this time, the order of the Jesuits was created the most powerful, cruel, unscrupulous, and powerful of all of the champions of popery. Cut off from earthly ties and human interests, dead to the claims of natural affection, reason, and conscience, holy silence, they knew no rule, no tie, but that of their order, and no duties but to extend its power. That makes another, a number of other very strong statements. Now I realize that there are a number of people probably went to Jesuit schools and have some background there, then it's pretty innocuous and they don't even know. But if a person becomes Pope and they are still connected with the Jesuit order, I would think they would be someone that understood what it was all about. And what would you expect? Would you expect them to walk into the Vatican sporting red leotards and bat wings and a horn or horns? No, they would be as nice and winsome and congenial, and jovial, and lighthearted, and loving, and humble. I mean, if you were the devil, isn't that what you would do? January 21, a little over a year ago, 2013, Pope calls for unity. Just right out of the gate, this Pope made it clear his agenda was to reach out and unite with Protestants. Pope calls for unity between Protestants and Catholics. Some of you remember that... Uh, shocking video where Tony Palmer, the Anglican priest, um, brought a personal message recorded by the Pope to the evangelicals saying that we are brothers, 
We need to come back. And just like he said that the brothers of Joseph had rejected Joseph, but they finally realized Joseph was the one called by God to rule, and they embraced Joseph, and, and he put himself in the place of Joseph. And I don't know if everyone understood the innuendo that was in that. And, of course, Tony Palmer declared several times, the protest is over, speaking of the Protestant Reformation. He made the claim, we are actually all Catholics now. By the time it was over, first, some of those charismatics seemed a little uncomfortable, but then after the Pope's message, they all applauded and broke into speaking in tongues. And they prayed for the Pope. And I had one of my friends say, Doug, you left something out of your, of your video. Did any of you see the little video we posted on that a little more than a year ago? Over a million people viewed that. He said, you notice that Tony Palmer was kind enough to take the Pope's comments because he spoke in Italian and translate them so you could understand them in English. But Kenneth Copeland didn't translate whatever it was he was saying when uh, he was speaking in tongues. Now, I don't mean to be ungracious because before I was an Adventist, I worshiped with charismatic Christians and a lot of dear people there, but that speaking in tongues business, I believe in biblical speaking in tongues. But a lot of what's going on is just uh, a form of paganism in my opinion. Things are also happening on the political landscape in concert with this. You know, right now in Congress, in this 114th Congress, 57% are Protestant, 31% are Catholic. But among the Supreme Court judges, do you know that all and the most powerful entity in North America with the legislature is the Supreme Court? You just discovered that with the recent vote about marriage. How you could have four justices against five justices and what was the understanding of marriage for since the inception of our country is overthrown by one vote of a judge. And we're seeing other things in the news about that where the court clerk is in prison now because of her convictions, and you'll see more things like that. But it used to be 100% of the Supreme Court justices were Protestant at one time. Do you realize that with the resignation of Judge Stevens, there is no longer one Protestant on the Supreme Court? The majority are Catholics, two Jews, and I forget the other. But um, things are changing. In 2000. 13, on March 13th, Pope Francis is invited to address a joint session of Congress. First time in history, that'll be happening this month. Unless weather prevents it or something else we can't foresee. Invited by the leader of the Senate and Congress, John Boehner, Nancy Pelosi, both Catholics. Jesus said, when these things begin to happen, lift up your heads because your redemption draws nigh. And I ought to pause while I'm thinking about it and make something very clear. I am not sharing these things today purely to be sensational. It is sensational. I mean, some things are sensational. Uh, I think what's happening to, in the world today prophetically is unprecedented. But I'm not sharing it with you because that, for that purpose because it won't save you. Uh, when you see these things, sometimes it will awaken a person uh, when they're sleeping and they'll realize the need to awaken spiritually and to renew their commitment to the Lord. People are not going to be saved because they're afraid of the second coming. We need to be saved because of a, a loving relationship with Jesus. Is that clear? And so, you know, don't go ahead and say, wow, wow, you know, this is what a conspiracy. That was interesting. Uh, all kinds of people have wild ideas and it's just interesting fodder to think about but this is stuff, I think, that's been foretold. March 27, President Obama meets with the Pope 
Two of the world's most influential men, Obama and Pope Francis, meet at the Vatican. First, the president of the U.S. goes there. I remember somewhere reading, Protestants in the United States will be foremost in stretching their hands across the gulf to clasp the hands of spiritualism. Now, in all these meetings that are taking, a, taking place, and you'll hear me talk about a number of Protestant groups that went to Rome and met with the Pope, the president went to Rome, they first go from here, there. Now he's returning the favor, he's going from there, here. Protestants will be foremost in stretching their hand across the gulf. But it's not just Romanism, it's the spiritualism. They'll reach across the abyss to clasp hands with the Roman power, and under the influence of this threefold union, the country will follow in the steps of Rome, trampling the rights of conscience. Have we seen in the headlines lately where people's conscientious rights are being trampled? If you've missed that, you're going to see it. But, uh, you know, there's some places where Adventist pastors aren't free to preach the whole message, some parts of the world, as I travel. Uh, there's things that I can't preach in certain countries. They call it hate speech. Uh, and you're going to see those things get tighter, but it's going to take an interesting twist, I believe. Um, and you know what also concerns me is what's happening, not just with the Catholic Church and the overtures between Protestants, but what's happening in our church as well. And maybe I'll get to that in just a minute. But you notice that Pope is coming in a few weeks. He's going to be speaking to United Nations, White House, Congress and Senate, Philadelphia Mass, Madison Square Garden Mass. He's going to all of the places that are foundational in American history. I don't know if you caught that. Going to the center of our governments, going to the place where the Declaration of Independence was signed, going to where the first president was sworn into office. He's going to 9-11 Memorial, develop confederacy with Christian solidarity with Christians of America. And um, I think these things all... I don't believe... You know what I think is going to happen when he's done with his visit? I think he's going to get on his plane fly back to Rome. I don't think that he's going to announce, I'm here to tell you all we're supposed to now go to church on Sunday and make a new law. Well, you may, but it won't happen right away. <laughs> I'm not expecting that. But he's certainly going to talk about it because he's already announced he's going to talk about it. Uh, and I'll get to that in just a minute. April 27th, one of the things he did in preparation for developing his, um, his aura is to canonize two saints at once. He did it in stereo. Declare two former popes, popes that can be prayed to in heaven as saints that will intercede for you to God. Now, that must be pretty, pretty, pretty lofty position to be, um, I mean, you know, if you're just a, a normal person, you go right to heaven and uh, they can pray to you, that'd be pretty good. But to be a pope in heaven, you know, on earth they call popes Holy Father. And so if you've got enough power as a pope to make dead popes saints, who's more powerful, the one made a saint or the one that can make him a saint? Do you understand indirectly what the message was in this? And not only that, he had a living pope present when he declares to a dead pope saint. Besides himself, Pope Benedict was there. When in history do you have two living popes and two dead popes all getting together? I mean, that was really something in my mind. And you think for a Catholic that would be very confusing when you pray our Father in Heaven. Which one are they talking to at that point? 
I know, I don't want to be sarcastic, but really, I mean, they call the Pope Holy Father. May 9th, Pope advises United Nations on economics. The Pope is getting involved in the world's economic policy. He's getting involved in environmental policy. Well, and I don't know if you remember the Pope's recent encyclical to save the planet. He makes several statements about we need to remember the Sabbath, and then he goes on and says Sunday. He said because the earth needs rest, and he points back in the Bible to the sabbatical years, and he said that's why every week we need to remember Sunday, the Eucharist, because this will be a time to rest the planet. The planet needs rest. So he's going to use every, every argument that can be put forward to promote this. And if you stand against it, you're going to be, you're going to be very unpopular. May 25, this is still a year ago, calls for unity with Orthodox Christians. For the first time, Pope Francis visited the most important holy sites for Muslims. Jews and Christians in Jerusalem's holy city, the final day of his Middle East tour. And other popes had been to the Middle East, but they would not go near a Muslim site. Then he invites Muslim and Jewish leaders to come to the Vatican and they will pray for peace. And they came. Got a lot of power to do that. And they read Muslim prayers. You know, in the last days, um, I don't know, and I don't want to pretend I know, exactly how some of these things are going to play out. But I do think Islam is going to have a prominent role. It has to. There's a billion of them. And just with the tensions that we see in the world, something's going to have to happen. Something's going to change. Istanbul, AP News, Bartholomew I, spiritual leader of 250 million Orthodox Christians. So you not only have the Catholics, you've got the Greek Orthodox, you've got the Russian Orthodox. He's building a confederacy with all of them. Bartholomew I met with the Pope. They're moving forward to ending their 1,000-year divide. June 1, Pope attends charismatic convocation. On Sunday, Pope Francis spoke to 53,000 people gathered in the Olympic Stadium in Rome, 37th National Convention of the Renewal of the Spirit Conference. He knelt and the crowd prayed for him in tongues. He did that there, like what you saw here at the Kenneth Copeland Ministers Gathering. June 5, Joel Osteen flies to Rome to meet with the Pope. You ever heard of Joel Osteen? Yeah, he's one of the most popular, one of the biggest churches in North America, if not the biggest Protestant church. And uh, he said he was just humbled by it all. They're looking for common ground in order to advance the life and ministry of Jesus so more people can experience the joy of Christian faith. Looking for common ground. Well, that sounds good. Can two walk together unless they're agreed? The Bible says... You're going to hear more and more appeals. And you know what? I am thankful that at least officially the Catholic Church still, still has a stand on marriage. They still have a stand on abortion. They still have a stand on family. And these are things. That's why he's coming to Philadelphia to talk about the family. Who can be against the family? Uh, Joel Osteen, by the way, came with a group of 11 pastors, no, so a 15-member delegation, including leaders of the LDS Church. Now, that was interesting. Looking for common ground. They met with the Pope. You didn't hear much about that meeting. It was actually cut short because of the death of a bishop, and the Pope had to change his schedule. But um, they did have a brief meeting. June 8, Pope visits the Middle East, 
inserts himself in the peace process. He invites the um, leader of the uh, Orthodox Church and uh, the leader of Palestine, the president of Palestine and president of Israel to come and to pray together. And they offer Jewish Muslim prayers and pray for peace. Paul says, 1 Thessalonians 5, but concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves know perfectly well that the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they'll not escape. Ever seen a pregnant woman when she goes into labor and then she turns to her husband and said, I changed my mind, I don't want to do this. <laughs> it's kind of saying, uh, there's just no turning back. But there'll be calls for peace, peace, safety. July 7, Pope Francis meets with U.S. televangelists after the video message. Then Kenneth Copeland, James Robeson, who I've met before, and a number of other charismatic leaders from Voice of Victory. And they went to the Vatican, had a three-hour lunch with the Pope, talking about, with the translator, talking about how they could have their churches come together. July 22nd, Pope picks a new council to promote global Christian unity. Well, is there any question about what one of his goals is? Global Christian unity. When it says in Revelation that he compels all, small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to worship, all the world involved in worship, what religion do you think they're going to claim to be worshiping under? It'll be under Christianity. It'll be under the flag of Christianity. But will it be biblical Christianity is the question. The Bible begins with two brothers, Cain and Abel, making offerings to God. One of them does it God's way. They both are worshiping the same God. One of them does it his own way. The one who does it the wrong way persecutes the one who does it the right way. That's being repeated in the last days. They both ostensibly are worshiping the same God. Then you get down to the end of time. Happens again. Isn't it interesting... The early church were Jesus and his apostles, and who persecuted them? They're church members that ostensibly worshiped the same God. They were from the same religion, the Jewish religion. History is repeating itself. August 22nd, Pope approves use of military force. During a news conference aboard a plane on his way from Seoul on Monday, Pope Francis was asked explicitly, do you approve of the Americans bombing, speaking of the ISIS drone bombing, bombings at the time, Francis responded, in these cases where there is an unjust aggression, I can only say it is licit or legal, appropriate, that means, to stop the unjust aggressor. Uh, that's basically a roundabout way of approving the use of force. September 4th, Israeli President Shimon Peres asks the Pope to head a united religions organization. I don't know if you realize how significant that is, but the Jews have always had a very stiff relationship with the Catholic Church because, and you've heard me say probably at nauseam, that my mother was Jewish, my whole environment growing up in New York City was Jewish friends and family, kind of secular Jews, but they didn't have much time for the Catholic Church because they said they were complicit with what happened during the Holocaust. And so for the president, a retired president of Israel to say we need, with all this religious tension in the world, we need a committee of global religion and the Pope is the logical one to be the leader of that group. Would that fit in with the scenario of prophecy that we've known for 150 years? October 25, U.S. representative in Rome 
to push for a global covenant of world religions. A U.S. representative in Rome. I'm moving quickly through this. November 18, Pastor Rick Warren meets with the Pope Francis and speaks at the Vatican during a family conference. That's preparation for the conference that's coming in Philadelphia, which is the main reason he's coming to America. It's a conference on the family. Now, I'm not a prophet, but I'll, I'll bet that at that mass mass that they're going to have, they say all the hotels in Philadelphia and for 100 miles out are sold out. Did you know, how many of you have heard that Remnant Publications sent out 700,000 books? It was on Fox News in Philadelphia. Remnant Publications sent out 700,000 great controversies in Philadelphia. And everybody's going, where'd this book come from? How come everybody's got this book? <laughs> and uh, Glenn Beck was on TV and uh, Dwight Nelson, or rather, uh, Dwight, um, get my Dwight's not mixed up, Dwight Hall was there and, and Glenn Beck said, more people have sent me this book. I must have a hundred of these books. Everyone has sent me this book. Now what you didn't know, in the back of every one of those books is Amazing Facts Bible Study card. So they can sign up for free Amazing Facts Bible Studies. So we're hoping that we get a, a oh by the way, it might, you know, there might be a connection. We heard this week that our Bible study requests are higher than they ever have been this last month. I just put two and two together right in front of you. I didn't even think about that. Wow, I wonder if that's why. Yeah, we got record enrollees for our Bible school. Hmm. You're going to see when he gathers in uh, Philadelphia, I think you're going to see uh, Protestant leaders in positions of prominence on TV. There's going to be all these photo options to see the Pope with leaders from other Christian churches. And it's going to be sending a message. Yeah, let's just... I like to teach the world to sing a song in harmony. Let's just get a Coke and all love each other. That's what it's going to be. Yeah. It's just, doctrine doesn't matter anymore. Theology doesn't matter. December 2, 2014, world religion leaders joined Pope Francis in signing a declaration against modern slavery. Now, that's a good thing. Uh, but what's interesting is this was the first time in history. I didn't bring it to your attention how many times in the headlines I've been reading it says the first time in history, the first time in history, the first time in history. This is another one. First time in history, major Catholic, Anglican, Orthodox authorities along with Buddhists, Hindus, Jewish, and Muslim religions, they come together at the invitation of the Pope to sign a document. Who would say, no, we don't want to be against slavery? How do you turn down that invitation? Now I'm jumping ahead. I don't know if you heard um, something very interesting was in the news last week. The Vatican approves Seventh-day Adventist request. Absolutely. You didn't see this, huh? Six years ago, the Seventh-day Adventist Church began a process requesting that the city of Rome dedicate a square to Martin Luther to honor the 500-year anniversary of the reformers' visit to the city of Seven Hills. The request has finally received the approval of the Vatican. On September 16, a week before the Pope's visit, it's going to be, what, a couple weeks from now, 10 days from now, Rome will officially name a square in Rome that overlooks the Colosseum. It's currently called Valle Fortunato Misi. I'm sure I slaughtered that. It's going to be Piazza Martin Lutero, Martin Luther Plaza. 
to commemorate the great reformer's visit to Rome. Do you remember what happened after that visit in Rome? He said it was the closest he had ever been. He said, if there's a city that's built on top of hell, it's Rome. Now they're going to commemorate a square to him in honor of that statement. Whew. What was really strange was it was a consortium of some of our churches in Europe that appealed to the Vatican to dedicate this space. Have you heard... Now, I'm jumping all over the place. I told you I just decided at the last minute to do this, so I'm kind of winging it. I just got some notes here. Um, when the Pope met with the televangelists in, North America, in uh, the Vatican, Tony Palmer, Kenneth Copeland, James Robeson, and the other ones, Tony Palmer had in hand a document. They're encouraging the Pope to sign in 2017 a document of unity among Christians. No, 2017, that's right. A document of uh, unity among Christians between evangelicals, Protestants, and Catholics in honor of the 500-year anniversary of Martin Luther's nailing the, um, the Protestant Reformation. Yeah. The, the, have you, how many of you heard that? Let me see. Anyone here? Yeah. As far as I know, it's true. Now, it's interesting. In the weeks ahead of us, what's going to happen? Pope is going to come to the United States. Probably a lot of fanfare. Last week, he spoke with uh, churches and took questions. He did a live interactive um, virtual audience with Americans. It was on ABC. I think it aired this week. Uh, it was actually aired September 4. When was that? Yesterday? Yeah. And um, to prepare and just to help develop dialogue with Americans before he comes. The Vatican's published his schedule. First, he's going to meet with the President of the United States at the White House. He's then going to meet with a joint assembly of the United States Congress, our Congress and our Senate. This is going to be the highest legislative body. You realize they do it where you have the president and vice president in the same room in case there's some kind of a terrorist act. They want someone to still be in charge of the government. But it may be possible that you will have the speaker of the house, the president, and the vice president all there, which is very high risk. Because if something happens there, then what? We won't even have a pope if something happens there after a while. <laughs> but, I mean, that is it's pretty significant. Then he'll go to the United Nations. Now, why is the United Nations going to have a general assembly meeting to be addressed by the Pope? He is the leader of a church. Do you think they'll get together to let me tell them what I think? <laughs> Don't hold your breath. They want to do it for Billy Graham. Why do they do it for the Pope? Because it's not just a church. It's a government. It's a, it's a political power. The Vatican has its own boundaries under the Lateran Treaty of 1929. It's an independent state, 109 acres in Rome, population of 1,000. They got their own currency, their own train, their own post office, and the Pope is the supreme dictator of that country. They don't operate under democracy. Did you know that? And so they have ambassadors from around the world that go to this country with 1,000 people. Isn't that strange? Very clever. So if you don't think that the Catholic Church has political designs, why would they make themselves a country in Italy with uh, 109 acres? And then, I don't know if you caught it a few weeks ago. No, it was last week, two weeks ago. Pope 
delivered what they call a catechesis. You know, a catechism. How many of you have a Catholic background? You know what I'm talking about. You remember catechism, Roman catechism. It's a question and answer. And a catechesis is the teachings. And a pope, when he delivers a catechesis, it means this is an official teaching of our doctrine. In preparation for his visit to America, he delivered the first of three catechesis that will be his theme for his meeting with families in Philadelphia. They are celebration, prayer, and work. The one on celebration, he said, is about Sunday. It's the, how central the celebration of the Eucharist is. And he, some of you, if you haven't seen it, I just posted something oh, a few weeks ago, maybe three weeks ago on this, where it says, Pope appeals for new Sunday laws. Did any of you see that video? Yeah, just word for word, I go through his script. It's not very long. But if you were wondering if he plans on talking about Sunday, he says that all the virtues of Christ come to us through Sunday. What's left if it's all the virtues of Christ? It is the conduit, he says, of every Christian grace. And it says this will be one of the central themes of the world meeting of families in Philadelphia when the Pope attends in September. Now, if you're a Seventh-day Adventist and you grew up reading the great controversy and knowing about last-day events, if you are going to be a creative author and write how could I write a story that would make it look like the final events were unfolding, that finally it wasn't just rumor and innuendo, finally there was somebody in power that was taking dramatic steps to bring about the final events we'd always heard about. Could you write anything that would be more vivid than what's happening right now in history? What would you leave out? I mean, everything that is happening right now, and, and several times the Pope has said, he's, I don't know, you know, if he's just using reverse psychology, but he says, I have to do what I'm doing very quickly. Who knows how long I'll be around. He keeps hinting that he's not going to be around long. Any of you, some of you heard these statements? Well, he's in his 70s now. He's actually the same age as Kenneth Copeland. I thought that was interesting. Things, if it's going to happen with him, can't happen too slowly, right? And um, so all these things are, are transpiring around us. Now, I, as... Um, as you've heard it said before, I haven't told you half. Um, it's like Queen of Sheba said to Solomon, half of your wisdom I have not even heard of. Um, I haven't had a chance to tell you a fraction of just what we see happening. This is just on the front of what's happening prophetically. History is repeating itself. You know, there's a quote in early writings, page 68, and this angel is speaking to Ellen White, and he says, get ready, get ready, Get ready. And he goes on to say, you need to have an experience with the Lord that is much deeper than anything you now have. And so the reason I say this is not that you can go out and say, wow, have you read this and you heard this and you know, I'll pass it around and say, hoo, 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 that's really interesting. If it doesn't have any sanctifying influence in your life, there's nothing redemptive about what I've just said. If you realize that what we've always heard of Seventh-day Adventists is finally upon us, and you know when it's coming upon us? What was the condition of the ten virgins when the bridegroom finally came? How many were wise? How many were foolish? 50%, 50% wise, 50% foolish. What percent were sleeping? 100%. What do you see happening in the church around us today? 
Do you see that fervor for evangelism and wanting, do you see that sense of urgency that Jesus is coming and we've got to tell the world before we run out of time? Are you finding as you look around, as I look at my own life, as I look around, there's this um, mesmerizing interest in getting comfortable in this world to say, today and tomorrow we'll buy and sell, plant and build, marry, give in marriage, till that day comes upon us as a thief because that's how it's going to come on the whole world as an overwhelming surprise. Now you've been saying, you're thinking, oh, Pastor Doug, you know, we're Seventh-day Adventists. Third or fourth generation, my dear wife and I are opposite. She's usually on a fourth or fifth generation Seventh-day Adventist. I'm a convert from way out in the world. And um, Adventists say, well, we've been hearing this from Adventist pastors forever. And you know what? One of these days, an Adventist pastor is going to preach the last sermon about getting ready. And it's going to be time. And we are supposed to be getting ready. I see, you know, I think there's things that we can't predict, but I think there's signs that Jesus gives us we can predict. He said, if you can look at the sky and tell what the weather is doing, how come you can't discern the signs of the times? And I just see these things are happening around us. Now, you will probably ask some questions that will trigger other things I, I'd like to share with you. One big one is we need to pray for revival in our church. And the way that you're going to have revival in the church is by praying for revival in your life. I know I'm praying for revival in my life. When I look at Jesus and I look at myself, I get very nervous when I think about how far I have to go. He's my example, not you. And uh, God wants to have a people that will perfectly reflect his image before he comes. Something's going to happen. There are going to be people like that. There are going to be people who are filled with a double portion of God's spirit. They're not just going to have the former reign, they're going to have the latter reign of the Holy Spirit. Whether you're ready or not, there are going to be people like that. Do you want to be one of them? It's a big question. Well, maybe I'll just pause here. If some of you have questions, now don't ask me a left field question about, you know, what do I think about the three dates in Daniel 12? And, or you, know, you just ask me things that maybe are related to the last eight prophecies that I'm talking about. Make it short and I'll repeat your question. All right, we've got a hand back here. What is the role that Ben Carson plays? <laughs> you know, that's one of them left field questions. No, no. <laughs> well, you know, I've met Dr. Carson several times because over the years, before he was as famous as he is now, we would go to camp meetings where he would speak, I'd speak, and we'd just get to visit behind the platform or something. I saw him a year ago at a National Religious Broadcasters Convention. He, his wife, Candy, is very friendly. She came and talked to us at length at our booth. She knows about Amazing Facts. And, and um, I told him back then, it would, you know, he came to NRB because we all knew he was going to announce that he's running. Um, all you're asking me now is about my political views. I just think it's very interesting. If nothing else, it's very interesting that you've got a Seventh-day Adventist running for president and a Jesuit pope coming to America. So uh, it's interesting. If you were to ask me my political view, and, and don't write this down, whatever you do, don't tape this, <laughs> is um, it, you may end up, I, I don't think that he'll end up with a nomination for president, but he may get the nomination for vice president and for purely political reasons. Um, not his political reasons, but the party wanting to try and get as many votes as they can. And that would be very interesting. So I don't know what's going to happen. If any of you know, let me know. <laughs> so <laughs> another question. Yeah, you know, yeah, 
there was an article in the review where the, the writer said that maybe it's time to marginalize ministries. I don't know if any of you saw that. Everyone wondered, well, what ministries are they talking about? Well, I guess you're supposed to fill in the blanks yourself. But, um, you know, I think that the day is going to come when uh, everybody's going to be unpopular. And the question is, are we interested in being popular with God or popular in the world? Uh, even within some areas of the church, uh, Jesus was unpopular, as was John the Baptist. Uh, not that I, I didn't mean to compare us to them, but you just want to be faithful. And, um, you know, we're trying to work out that particular issue that you mentioned. Uh, I just think it's unfortunate. Uh, the, with the whole very sensitive debate about women's ordination, the church has just kind of come through a discussion. Everybody... There's good Adventists on both sides, and people shared their views. Uh, leaders on both sides were very vocal about their views. I shared my views. I feel passionately about the reasons. And, um, and now we're working together to try and share the gospel. I think it's unfortunate to be vindictive or marginalized ministries after the fact now. It's appropriate as a democratic church. We share our views before we come together and vote. That's the time to do it. Anyway, so I don't know if that answers your question, but... We may see more of that in the last days. I, I think there's going to be a, we're going to see a struggle of ideals in the church. It's not about one group against another. It's about teachings. There, there's, within the Adventist church right now, I don't know if you're aware, but not all the Adventists have the same confidence in the spirit of prophecy that we used to have. Um, they, they don't have the same confidence in holy living. Um, well, I won't go into all the details, but there's a number of issues. And that, that's just one of them. All right, another question. Yes. The question is, uh, there's a radical fringe of shepherd's rod, and could they trigger an incident maybe back like the days in David Koresh that will bring about the Sunday laws or at least certainly make people feel more antagonism towards Seventh-day Adventists? Again, I, I don't know that, but I don't think so. I, I think that they're going to stay a fairly small group, and hopefully they, you know, they won't be representative to people of uh, their, their very minor association with Seventh-day Adventists. Uh, they've been removed. You know, it's, uh, the way I look at that is um, Jim Jones was once a Methodist preacher. Did you know that? But it would be very unfair to compare Jim Jones with Methodists because he had left the Methodist church for many years before he got mixed up in what he did. And the shepherd's rod broke away what, 80 years ago. Uh, so it, it's, uh, they scarcely resemble Seventh-day Adventists. Other questions? I saw a couple of hands. Yes, back in by the window. Comments on the Shemitah? Comments on the Shemitah. Um, is his name Jonathan Khan? Yes. Uh, is a, uh, a very zealous, very articulate uh, communicator uh, he wrote a book called The Shemitah, or The Harbinger, that was, he was taking some prophecies in Isaiah that talked about the towers falling, and he said this was all foretold, and it's been a very popular book. And then John Hagee has some books on blood moons, and I guess this, did it happen yet? Or this month there's, I guess, a major blood moon. Um, and they're talking about, you know, will there be a financial reverse? And I, I'm not putting a lot of stock in that personally. Um, Something I think could happen in the world that would trigger. Let me just, your, your question's a good question because uh, right now let's just suppose that there was a major financial collapse 
Um, suppose that happened in concert with a major terrorist event or even a natural disaster, a big one. People start turning to God, or maybe they happen one after the other. You know, when we had our biggest attendance at uh, our church in Sacramento, it was immediately following 9-11. Man, we couldn't have fit anybody else in the building. And I knew it would fizzle soon, and it did. And it went back to its you know, regular group. But people get scared. They become very religious. If the world starts to look for a religious leader right now, who do you think they're going to pick? You all were right. <laughs> That's what's going to happen. Um, does that mean it will be um, you know, a financial reverse? Let me give you something else to think about. Jesus said that when he comes, it'll be like the days of Noah and Lot. They'll be planting, building, marrying, giving in marriage. Now, do you plant unless you expect a future? Don't you plant expecting a future? If you get married... I mean, would you propose to some gal and say, the world's going to end in a week, you want to get married? Or maybe you would. <laughs> well, usually you marry with a future in mind. Usually you build with a future in mind. Jesus said that when the end comes, people are doing things that involve a, what looks like a booming... Was the economy booming in Sodom the day before it fell? So we've got to be careful not to say that economic collapse is going to be the condition of the world just before the plagues fall. Um, Jesus said, in such an hour as you think not. But he also said to the church, you are not of the night, you are of the day that your eyes should be open. So I, I would be careful about putting a lot of stock in, you know, this man is very zealous. He says some things that are very bold, I admire. But uh, I don't know that he's got an inside track on prophecy. You know, if I was to put my finger, uh, what can I do to encourage standing in the last days? If I would, it, it seems like there's almost a polarization happening within our church into two different groups. And um, if you were to ask me to put my finger on one thing that seems to be a, a constant factor on both sides, the rejection of the testimonies, not believing in the inspiration of the spirit of prophecy, seems to be a deciding factor in the two groups. Uh, that may not be absolute across the board, but just that's what I notice. And I'd say that, read your Bibles, we have to have a devotional life every day, read the spirit of prophecy, I'm in my car right now, wherever I drive, I'm listening, I'm going through the conflict of the ages again, and I'm just seeing how history is repeating itself. Have a strong devotional life. Um, another hand up here? Yeah. I'm glad you asked that question. Is personal witnessing part of the preparation? Absolutely. But one of the best ways for you to get it is to give it away. And if you want to get the real thing as a Christian, give it away. Lead someone else to Christ, and the Lord will work in your life and you know, by the way, why Karen and I are here, we've got a bunch of amazing facts and materials, all free at a table where it talks about how to win souls. We've got Bible marking pens. We've got books and studies and just stuff we want you to do. Because, you know, Amazing Facts does two things. We do evangelism and we do things to equip and prepare members for revival to do witnessing. So we hope that you'll utilize whatever resources you can to train and to share your faith. It, it's in some, especially in big cities, it's hard. Question is, the wall of separation makes it difficult to witness to your neighbors. You used to be able to go up the street and knock on doors. We still do that in Sacramento with our AFCO program. You can still do that in a lot of places. We still have people come knock on our door, either Jehovah Witnesses or they want me to buy new vinyl siding. I mean, so people do still go door to door. Media is becoming a very important means. And media includes publishing, but internet, television, radio, and I think as Christians... 
Uh, we ought to use everything at our disposal to share our faith. But there's nothing like the personal contact. And it may not be by knocking on a door. It can be. It might be the people you meet just at work or in your, you know. Karen and I were at the airport yesterday. I saw two Jehovah Witnesses while we were waiting for our bag. And uh, one of them was holding something up that said, you know, we're offering something. I forget what it was. And, and uh, another one was standing there for support. I went over and talked to him. Hope you don't think I'm a heretic. And I, I admired them for being in a public place like that. But I thought to myself, I said, Karen, take a picture of them. And I think he did. And um, uh, I thought, why don't we do that? They got a permit from the airport to stand there and to give something away. We can do that. I remember the Hari Krishnas ought to do We ought to do everything we can to get where the people are. Yeah, well, I know that something you did raise, I can't comment on the book, but you did raise a question talking about the economy um, it's interesting that one of the appeals, uh, the Pope is not only appealing to family, the Pope is appealing to the environment. The other thing is he's appealing to economic equality. And so that is going to resonate with the poor of the world. And uh, so it's just, a, it, it, the agenda is a masterpiece of how to pull people together. I saw some other hands. And let's make these as just uh, quick questions. Kevin. How do you share end time events with your neighbors? Great question. Uh, a number of ministries, Amazing Facts is one of them, but there are many ministries that have some good DVDs, some sermons, um, and the power is through the word. Videos these days, people are very visual because of television and the internet and YouTube. And so if you have things that have some graphics, there's just a number of ministries, uh, Pastor Boar, White Horse Media, I could go on and on, and I'm sure I've, that uh, just can share. Did I mention Amazing Facts? Can I mention it again? Yeah, yeah. there's a lot of ministries out there that have uh, great resources. A hand in the back. All right, the 144,000 in Revelation. Um, uh, again, it's going to sound like a plug. I've got a little book you can download for free at the Amazing Facts website because that will give you more. But let me tell you very quickly, I believe from everything I've read in the Bible and the spirit of prophecy that the 144,000 in the last days, it's 12 times 12,000. Can you think of another group of 12 that were very important during the time of Jesus' first coming? Twelve apostles. Filled with the Spirit. They were not the only ones saved. It was a special group that was commissioned, given a special job. He sent them out. A great multitude came through their ministry. They were not the only ones that got the Holy Spirit. There were 120 in the upper room that got the Holy Spirit. Last days, I believe, simply the 144,000 or like last day apostles. Uh, it's not 12 because Jesus told the apostles, do not go to the way of Gentiles. Go first to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So he had 12 to go to that smaller group. Now before Christ's second coming, he's got 12 times 12,000 to go to the whole world. And you look at the characteristics of the 144,000, you'll find it's very much like these are they that follow the Lamb wherever he goes. What did the apostles do? They followed him everywhere he went. They were the, the core disciples. And so I, I believe that some of those people might be alive today and not even know it. Is it a literal number or a spiritual number? I've always thought it was a literal number. Um, just because God's, the numbers in Revelation typically have real value. Um, but I wouldn't die on that mountain. Uh, so I think just behind the lady in purple, there's someone first. Yes. Yeah, they are the first fruits, just like the first ones that Jesus called were the apostles. Yeah, lady in the purple? Well, yeah, obviously, I don't believe any man knows the day and the hour. Uh, there are... Moses said there are even false prophets that predict things that come true. Uh, and so you've got to be careful that, you know, the, the devil could plant a prophet 
In other words, I could, I could predict when you walk up the stairs, someone's going to squirt you with toothpaste. <laughs> and you walk up the stairs, and sure enough, I've got a friend that jumps out and squirts you with toothpaste. You can think, wow, Doug was a prophet. Well, no, I planned the whole thing, but you thought I was a prophet. And so, you know, you could always have someone on the inside. I mean, they could even be on the inside of the devil and not even know it. So, uh, did that make sense, or do I sound like I had a flashback from my drug days? <laughs> that, there are going to be... Um, a lot of prophecies. I think we need to guard against anything that resembles setting a time. I do think we can know when it is near. Jesus said, when you see these things come to pass, know that it is near. And that's all I'm talking about is I, I see things are coming into place that we always believed. And so, wow, if we should ever be mobilized to be ready and to tell others. We, you know, there's going to be a great revival when God pours out the Spirit and His people are going to go everywhere. And um, there's going to be a shaking some are going to be shaken in and some are going to be shaken out. And I hope that we're going to be settling into the faith during that time. A couple more questions and they're telling me our time is about up. In the far corner there, I see a hand. What's a good way of sharing with people from other denominations or one of the best ways talking about end times? It always helps to have a preliminary idea of what their beliefs are so you can see what their worldview is and you don't immediately insult their ideas. Being sensitive to that, praying for wisdom, how to introduce it based on where they're coming from. Mark Finley had a book out for years talking about reaching other faiths. Uh, studying together, that's right, thank you. I think we still share that with our AFCO class. Um, finding common ground. Now, for Paul said, I become all things to all men that I might reach some for Christ. Didn't mean he changed his faith, but Paul, when he talked to the Greeks, he talked through their view of philosophy. When he talked to the Jews... He talked to there a few of signs and wonders in Bible history. And so we, we need to just be sensitive to what uh, their background is. The, you know, some of the DVDs we've just produced, that uh, Bride Beast Babylon DVD was made to give to Protestants. And even Catholics are watching it. And when we, Catholics, we made the DVD Cosmic Conflict, talks about the origin of evil. We've had several nuns and two priests come up to us at a religious broadcaster's convention. They held up the Cosmic Conflict. They said... Amazing facts. We love your DVD. We got a picture together. I'm standing with all these nuns and priests. And they're holding up the Cosmic Conflict DVD because it's exactly what they believe about the fall of Lucifer. And they say, oh, we give it to everybody. It's great. Well, then we say, would you like some other studies? So we find common ground and then we give them something else. All right, maybe the last question. Make it a good one. Uh, okay, over here. Islam is very prominent how do I think it will play into end-time Bible prophecy? Well, I think it's going to have a prominent role. There's a couple of views um, talking, and I, again, I will tell you right now, I'm not sure. I'm musing about some of this in my own mind, but some of the scenarios are either there is going to be uh, some event that is going to trigger a major conversion of many Muslims to Christianity. I mean, a major movement, because there's, there's nearly a billion of them out there. There's varying numbers. It's hard to get the statistics on Muslims because they have very large families, and a lot of the Muslims are secular. They're not religious, just like you all know Catholics that are Catholics that don't even go to church. So it's hard to count. But there's, you know, anywhere from 800 million to a billion Muslims. A lot of people are saying something that's going to happen, there's going to be an event, something that will trigger a mass conversion, and they're going to recognize Christianity and somehow be looking to the Pope. I think that's going to be difficult. I have a number of Muslim friends that I talk to. They feel very strongly against the divinity of Christ and against idolatry. 
The other, uh, there's two streams. One is a major conversion among Islam. The other stream is that there's going to be some war terrorism thing. And the Christians are going to have to pull together because of the threat. I mean, it's going to be a global kind of threat. The Middle East is going to explode and there'll be some con major leader will arise out of all the chaos in the Middle East. And who is the Christian world going to look to as a leader? The other things to think about is what's happening to Europe right now. Are you listening to the immigration problems we're having? Uh, the, the immigration, a lot of it is Muslim immigration in Europe. And in some parts of Europe and England, they are closing churches and building mosques. Um, one reason the Pope is building friendship with America and one reason I think that a South American Pope was chosen for the first time is it's now the new world. North America, Canada, South America is going to become the beachhead for Christianity. They are losing Europe to Islam because of immigration. And go to Italy. It's one of the most secular places in the world. They average less than 1.2 uh, 1 children or something like that. Go to the Muslim countries. They're having... Uh, 8 to 15 children in their family. You just do the math, in a few years we're going to be outnumbered. The Pope is building relationships here because this is going to be, I think, um, just as we've always heard from prophecy, this is going to be the second beast that will encourage people to pay homage to the first beast. If that's triggered by a battle or some war with Islam, I don't know, but can you imagine the chaos that would cause? Anyway, so thank you for your question. I, okay, I, I, do, are we out of time? Tell me. I got, I got more time? Oh, okay, I said another question. I thought someone gave me, someone back there was going like that. I thought. What's going to happen to our church? Well, if we believe the spirit of prophecy, she says she trembles for what's going to happen. I love the Adventist message. I mean, and I love the Adventist church. I'm employed, employed by Amazing Facts, but we are a subsidiary of the Northern California Conference. I'm credentialed as an Adventist pastor. Uh, and so don't misunderstand my statements, but obviously when it becomes illegal to believe what we believe and when we're persecuted as an organization, I don't know how we'll be able to remain in power unless we do, we'll either cease to exist visibly as a recognized organization, we'll go underground, or there'll be compromise. Maybe both will happen. Uh, we see in some corners of the church this amazing compromise happening with uh, our beliefs, and that is very troubling. There's going to be a shaking. And I think a lot of people who have been social Adventists, have been raised in the culture of the Adventist church, but they've not been converted and fallen in love with the message, they're either going to be shaken and go through a conversion, or they're going to drift out into kind of a quasi-version of Adventism. It's really sort of a Seventh-day Presbyterian. So what's happening. I didn't mean that as an insult to either Adventists or Presbyterians, but uh, theologically, yes? Got a question on women's ordination. Can I have permission not to talk about that? <laughs> I, no, because you, I, if anyone wants to know what I believe on that, I'm on record. And I just... I, I've, I've made a promise to some people I'm going to focus on evangelism and I'm going to let that rest. I feel like I gave the trumpet a certain sound. And uh, it's not that I resent your question, but there's a, lot of, there's a lot of leaders right now that are working on that. We voted, we followed the policy, and I now hope that uh, we'll pull together as a church and follow uh, what we voted as a people. 
Was that okay with you? I'm already a target. Well, you want to kill me off? <laughs> All right, sorry. So uh, someone with a red tie back there. Sorry. Yeah. What about moving to the country? What's my advice? Well, if you're able to afford it, it's a good idea to have property. Get, get a place now where you can grow some of your own food and you're not surrounded where, you know, the persecution is going to be especially tense in the cities. I think there are going to be spells. I don't know exactly when it'll happen in the final scenario, but you're going to see some pretty scary things on the headlines. You know what would happen to American cities if trucks did not deliver food for a few weeks? I mean, I don't think anyone has any idea of the kind of chaos. I, I was amazed at the, um, the, in Japan, when they had their, their uh, earthquake, the order and the respect and the organization was astounding. We're not famous for that in America. <laughs> so I, I think things could be, pretty, could be pretty scary. I forget, what was your question? Oh, moving to the country. So you don't, want to be, you don't want to be living too close to where that chaos might be. If you are a little further out in the country where people grow their own food, and you, you know, those, a lot better. Don't, uh, I've also known families, they read the country living quotes, and I believe in all of them. But at the end of that book, it says, don't do anything too quickly if you're not ready. And I've seen families get scared, and they sell everything, they quit their job, they move to the country, they have no income, they struggle, they go bankrupt, and they come back to the city and look for a job. So if you're going to do it, pray about it. Make sure the Lord is opening the doors for you and you're doing it in an intelligent, strategic way. Ellen White tells us that when they begin to lobby for Sunday laws, that's going to be a real signal for us to get out of these cities. But right now, we're supposed to preach to the lost, and where do you think most of them live? In the cities. So we've got to have ministries that are... If you can live outside the city and be close enough to work in the city, that's the ideal. Um, do you, you didn't ask one. Go ahead. Good question. In light of the eminence of Jesus coming and what we see happening, what should young people that are going into business think about for saving? Or social, should they claim social security? Or should they have children? I have young couples that say, with everything in the world, should we have children? Um, well, on the children business, you just pray. Make sure the Lord uh, advises you on that. Um, you know, back in Ellen White's day, James White actually counseled a couple with the eminence of the Lord's coming, I would never have children again. He later repented of that. Because a lot of time went by and people got married, had kids, they grew old and died. Uh, so, you know, I got I think you need to plan every day like you might die tomorrow. You need to live every day like it could be your last day. But at the same time, uh, you've got to plan as though you could be here. Amazing facts, we're working on building an evangelism training center because we don't know how much time we're here. I know years ago when I built my first cabin up in the hills, I said, oh, the Lord's going to come in 10 years. I'll just use these oak blocks. I won't use concrete piers because Jesus will come before they rot. Well, Karen and I burnt that house down. So it rotted. I mean, I didn't plan very well. So I'd say, what's his name? John Wesley said, earn all you can, save all you can, and give all you can. And I do think it's a smart idea to save some. And the day may come where God will tell you in a very divine spiritual impression, it is time to unload. Uh, have we all known ministers or ministries in, in generations gone by that said, this is it, sell everything. And I know some dear saints that got scared and they sold everything they had nothing to retire on. 
uh, and they got old and died. I mean, so gotta be careful we don't have a knee-jerk reaction, but that day is gonna come, and Ellen White says, when we are gonna be told by the Lord, put everything on the altar now, and he'll tell you when to liquidate. I don't, I don't wanna be the Holy Spirit for you. Did I see another hand just behind you? Yes. Oh, well, I think this lady here was, sorry, go ahead. All right, the question is on the trumpets, the seven trumpets, and some of them in particular about the sea turning red. Um, and you're wondering if maybe that applies to you know, anything from shark attacks to they have red tides and different things. I don't interpret trumpets that way. Um, I'm looking at the trumpets more historically. In Revelation, you've got the seven seals that give the political history of the church. You have the seven churches that gives a religious history of the church over a panorama of history. Seven trumpets sort of give a military history of the church. And so uh, I, I personally don't interpret the trumpets that way, but that's a big study on the trumpets and um, there's probably better qualified people here. Someone else had a question. I'm sorry, I interrupted you. Yes. Yeah, you know, the best preparation for the future is not going to be you're having a perfect strategic plan. I think we need to use our heads, try and position ourselves where we can be safe. But um, I know a few years ago, how many of you remember Y2K? <laughs> Y2K was the mother of all false alarms. Somebody even talked amazing facts. I'm embarrassed to tell you, someone talked amazing facts into we had to upgrade our phone system because they said, our existing phone that we sold you is not Y2K compliant and it may all freeze up. And they taught, we bought a new phone system because there was nothing wrong with the first phone system. I felt so silly afterward. Um, I know people that sold everything and they moved to the hills and they cut up their credit cards and ID and they got five gallon plastic buckets and filled it with garbanzo beans and, <laughs> and they went off the grid and nothing happened for years and it just it turned into, they kind of wasted their lives. They tried to hide in the hills to save themselves for what was coming. They did nothing during those years to reach the lost. I think that we're going to need to know how to be in the world and not of the world during this time. And we won't be able to perfectly plan. I'll tell you one more thing that comes to my mind is, you know, when, I, when Paul stoned Stephen, says a great persecution arose in Jerusalem and the disciples were scattered everywhere planting gardens and hiding from society. Is that what they did? During the great persecution, they were scattered everywhere preaching the gospel, and the disciples remained in the city, the, the apostles. And I thought, oh, Lord, does that mean i got to stay when all this happens? Um, so I think that up until probation closes, we want to be where we're going to be soul winners to the end. All right, we got one, one or two more questions. There's someone been waiting over here. I see three people pointing to one person. Okay. <laughs> All right, we had a county, a county clerk that was just in prison because she would not sign a marriage license. Um, that, I think, is very sad. It's, it's, I was very, very sad and disappointed in the law and what happened with the Supreme Court. I think that the framers of our Constitution would turn over in their graves if they saw how that was being abused. Um, I think that lady would have been much better off instead of saying, I won't do it, if she had said, I can't do it, the wording's very important. Uh, we counsel soldiers that convert in the military and they sometimes have to disobey orders about working on Sabbath. Here they signed up, they say, Pastor, what do I do? Say, so do not tell an officer you will not do something. That's called disobeying a direct order. You say, I cannot do it. And she, she may not have been imprisoned if she had worded it that way and said, because of my convictions, I cannot. 
So there's going to be very, it's going to be a very interesting legal case that's going to play out from this and everyone's going to be watching what happens. I think if people are called to take a stand like that, we need to be careful to say, because of my convictions, I cannot disobey the Lord's laws. I cannot be an accomplice to this marriage or what's happening. And yes, there is going to be, you're going to be maligned by the media. Even conservative media are giving that lady a hard time. Um, and that's a sign of the times. So we need to really pray about what's happening in the world, prophetically, in our church, pray for revival. I think the Lord brought you to these meetings today. Um, I hope that if there's changes that you need to make in your life, they'll say, Lord, I can just see the signs and I want to put everything on the altar and be completely surrendered so that I'm saying not I but Christ. Amen? Amen. And that we are saved by virtue of trusting in his righteousness. With that, we've actually got five minutes, but I think that I'm going to probably... Uh, oh, last word, last question, yeah. Oh, for tonight, later. Oh, um, I'm going to be talking about crucified with Christ. And I'll be, yeah, I'll be talking about the thief on the cross and elaborate on that. I think we're also going to have questions and answers later on tonight. Thank you very much. Why don't we stand? You've been sitting so long, and we want to make sure that you get enough air. We're going to have a closing prayer. Father in heaven, Lord, it has been good to get together with brothers and sisters, and we love the truth, and we see a lot happening. We freely confess that um, we don't know everything that's going on. We're thankful for those things that are revealed for our sake. And I pray that we'll be willing to heed the, um, the instruction you've given us to surrender our lives fully to you. And Lord, for those who may not even know what that means, I pray you'll reveal to them what it means that we can just love you with all of our hearts, that we'll strive to know you, that we'll seek for you with all of our hearts, that we might know you and find you. Uh, bless in the remainder of this very important uh, weekend. Pour out your spirit. I pray that as a result of our time together, we don't say that was a good meeting and walk away and forget what manner of people we are. But I pray, Lord, that we'll really be transformed by your word, your power, and just an awareness of the times in which we're living. Uh, be with each person, each family, and the speakers that are coming. And just ask that we sense your spirit through the remainder of this Sabbath day. In Jesus' name. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.